7, we begin to see Jesus being betrayed. And tonight I want just to be very clear that this first statement is going to be much more controversy than the ones I have already made. But friends, we have become a culture where we do not take responsibility for our faults. I like to joke that it's not my fault I'm fat, it's the girls that cook for me at the restaurants. And their response is always, I didn't force that down your throat. And I'm like, I know, but I like to blame someone. We're living in a culture now where it's not my fault, it's not my responsibility. Somebody did that to me first and I just responded to them. I would have never behaved that way if this hadn't happened. I would have never been this way if that hadn't occurred in my life. And then I want you to know that the only way that God will begin to truly change who you are, who I am, and who this church is, is when we come to a point and say, Lord, here we are. Lord, you need to search me. Lord, you need to deal with me. And God, whatever's in my life, God, it's yours. It's yours to fix. It's yours to change. It's yours to do what you want with. And so tonight when we begin to look at this passage of Scripture, Jesus is going to come face to face with His betrayer. Now, like I said this morning, anytime that you have multiple sermons in multiple days on multiple things that relate together, it's not an accident. While I didn't know what sermon I would be preaching tonight due to the mission trip and due to let Jared have a Sunday night, and I had no idea what tonight would be. And then with sickness and all the other stuff that goes on on Sunday mornings, that today we are looking at relationships and difficulties and betrayals. And so I want you to know that it is not an accident that you're here. And tonight you might say, Jake, this is painful, it's difficult, but I want you to hear this, even though it might be, it is an opportunity to change things in your life and to watch God change things in your life. And so tonight I want to talk to you about following His example. Following His example. And so if you would pray with me and we'll begin. Father, tonight I thank you for who you are. Lord, you know me, you know my past, you know my failures, you know my sins, my struggles, my insecurities, my weaknesses. Lord, everything that I bring to the table that is of no value. So, Father, I pray that you forgive me, that you'd help me, that you would work in spite of me tonight. Father, thank you for the men, women, boy and girls that are here tonight, Lord, and just bless them for their commitment to come and to hear your word. And Lord, we believe, like your word says, it never returns void, that it always accomplishes its purpose. So tonight I pray, Lord, that this would be a game changer for someone. Tonight this would be the time that you set them free and forever change their future. And Lord, I just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes tonight, and I hope that you will, we see the betrayal and Jesus' response. The betrayal in Jesus' response. All of us have responded in a way that we shouldn't have in different circumstances. All of us have probably lost our temper. All of us have probably been put in challenging moments. And we would say our response was not good. We look back on our lives and think, man, I wish I would have thought before I spoke. I wish I would have stepped away before I responded. I wish I would have let my anger cool before I let it out. And look here in verses 47 through 50 tonight. And while he was still speaking, so he was talking to them 
about prayer. He was talking to them about all that was going to go on. Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Tonight I want to show you two things from this passage of Scripture that I think speak very loudly. The first is this. When it begins in verse 47, it says, And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve. He gets specific about who this is. This is not just some random person. This is just not someone that the Jews paid. This is an individual who is in the inner circle of Jesus' ministry. He was there for the miracles. He was there for the help. He was there for everything that had gone on. He had been there when Jesus had fed the multitude. He had been there when Jesus walked on the water. He was there when Jesus took them in the middle of a storm from one spot of the sea to the shore. He had been a part of it. He had witnessed it. He had known Him. He had seen Jesus throughout His ministry. And we see here the significance of this because this betrayal is not just someone who is casually acquainted. It is not just someone who is a passerby. This was someone who from the flesh aspect would have cut as deep as possible. And while tonight we are here to recognize that Jesus is fully God, we also have to recognize that He is fully man. And every weakness, every um, emotion, everything that we have, He was able to experience without sinning. That's why the Bible says we have a high priest who can sympathize with us in every weakness, every area. You want to know what it was like to be lonely? Jesus experienced. You know what it's like to struggle with discouragement? Jesus experienced it. You want to know what it was like to deal with betrayal? Jesus experienced it. And if any of those things sound appealing to you tonight, you need to be looked at. Because none of us should want that. None of us should wake up in the morning and be like, I just wonder who in my life is going to break my heart today. None of us wake up and say, man, I wonder how much I could damage my children for their future spouse. That's not how we are wired. We are wired as believers to love God and to want His purposes in our life. But yet we see this example because why? Everything that goes on in the Scripture is to point us to Jesus and to point us to the truth that He truly is the answer to every situation in our life. Why is it that relationships are the leading cause of anxiety, the leading cause of discouragement, the leading cause of drunkenness, the leading cause of abandonment? Why? Because relationships shape who we are. We're not created to be alone. We're not created to live on an island all by ourselves. And so when you deal with relationships and people and sin, it affects us. And so when we see this, it is, I believe, calling to the tension that when you and I get into our most desperate situation, when we feel we are the most broken, when we feel we've been the most hurt, and we have no one else to turn to, we can turn to Him. Because He's been there. 
He's experienced it. But look in verse 50, because we see the betrayal, but we see Jesus' response. One, if I know what's coming and Judas is walking up to do this, I'm just going to be honest with you, I'm hitting him with something. I don't know what it is, but he's getting it. I know my life and in my past, and sometimes it was easier just to hit it and get over it. Fix it before they have a chance. And here he comes knowing what is going to happen. Jesus is not even finished telling them that the betrayer is coming. Someone is going to betray Him. And here He comes. And Jesus' response is, Friend, why have you come? Now there's a whole lot of disagreements over this statement. Some people say Jesus called Him His comrade, His mate, just as a pal. Other scholars believe this word would have been used for someone who he cared deeply for. I can't answer that tonight. But what I can tell you is, Jesus did not run from him. Jesus was not angry with him. Jesus did not lash out at him. Jesus said, friend, why have you come? Now some people would say Jesus said this because he didn't know, but he did. Jesus knows everything. He is God. I believe he is asking this question with one more merciful opportunity for Jesus, for Judas. Why have you come? Just like Jesus asks us in the end of the Scriptures to come, all who thirst and drink. I believe Jesus is giving him one more opportunity which we know he is going to refuse. And for all of eternity, he is going to have to answer for that. Jesus said, it would be better for him who betrays me to never be born. But we see Jesus extending mercy and grace and compassion to the person that he shouldn't. And so tonight, it shows us how the example should be followed. Most of us, if we watch Jesus lose his temper and be angry, would say, he had it coming. I hear that from people all the time. Well, pastor, you just don't know. I've always had this temper. I've always had this foul mouth. I've always had this anxiety. I've always had this struggle with lust. I've always had this pride. Look up here. When Jesus changed you, when Jesus saved you, there is nothing the flesh can keep that God cannot overcome. And when you and I say that, what we're really saying is, I know I shouldn't, but I am choosing to. Jesus had every excuse. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus says the people that you shouldn't love, the people that you don't want to love, the people that you don't want to forgive, the people that you don't want to have mercy and grace to, those are the people that you show it. 
Because why? They didn't deserve it and they couldn't earn it. And it is a picture of how God loves us. We couldn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. But yet He willingly died for us. That's why the Bible tells us that if we do not forgive, we will not be forgiven. I don't think we think of that significance very often because I think most of us struggle with unforgiveness more than we will admit. You say, Jake, not me. I don't have that problem. The person that you dislike the most, when someone brings them up, the first thing that comes to your mind will show you a pretty good indication of where your heart is at. You say, well, Jake, I don't agree with that. That's all right. You can be wrong tonight, but it still means you're wrong. Why? Because we see this example that Jesus sets. Second thing I want to show you tonight is the danger of fighting in the flesh. When we've been betrayed, when we've been wronged, when the relationships fall apart around us, the dangers of fighting in the flesh. Look at verses 51 and 52 with me tonight. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then he came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. In verse 51, And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. I want to call your attention to two things here in this passage of Scripture because some people will say, like the Mennonites and the Amish, that there's never a time for battle. Jesus literally says here that that is not the case. But did you notice what He said? Put it in its place. There's a time to carry. There's a time to fight. There's a time to war. There's a time to defend. But this was not that time. But you see, what we see in this passage of Scripture is Peter is doing what anybody would do. Defending the person that he loves. Standing up for someone who has been wronged. Most of us would look at this situation and say, he deserves a medal. Not a scolding. He deserves a that a boy. Not a, this is not your place. But what we see from this passage of Scripture is the danger of fighting our battles in the flesh. All of us struggle with it. That moment someone shares something about you that's not true and you want to clarify for the record. That moment that you find out that someone's been speaking unkindly about you and you'd really like to share what they are really like. Those moments when someone has hurt you and instead of getting even. Listen to what Ephesians the 6th chapter says starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. The Bible calls us to be meek, not weak. The Bible tells us that we are to have strength under control. A strength that trusts God to fight our battles. Not believers that cower under every bit of persecution. Not believers that run because of we're afraid of our faith. But to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We walk and we war knowing that God is able to do anything to change anyone, to remove any obstacle, to clear any path. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We have an enemy. 
And we need to know that we are not fighting physical battles. They are spiritual. Your marriage is not just an emotional and physical relationship. It is a spiritual relationship. You say, oh, Jake, church is the only spiritual relationship I have. You are mistaken. You raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is not just an emotional, it's not just a physical, it is a spiritual relationship. The relationship that you have with people at work, it's not just emotional, it's not just uh, location, it's spiritual. You say, Jake, so we're supposed to look through everything with the idea that it could be spiritual warfare? Yes. A soldier is only faithful when he stands his ground. A soldier is only considered a good soldier when he is on watch. But I firmly believe that as God's people, we have fallen asleep at the will. Sometimes it's because we've been so blessed we haven't had to worry about it. Sometimes it's because it's not worth the fight. We're very blessed as I went on that mission trip uh, last week, Randy and I, that even talking to believers in other churches that we are still in our own little world. We're, we're still insulated like most places are not. The fact that you're here tonight puts you in a percentage of about 7% of all churches in America today. The fact that some of you will come back on Wednesday night puts you in about another 10%. Right now, less than 25% of all professing believers will commit to reading the Word of God on a regular basis. You see, friends, we have fallen asleep at the wheel. The things our children watch, the places our children go, the things we watch on Facebook, the things we talk about at work, we have become a culture that needs to chill out, to veg out, as they call it. Literally, it is the thing that Netflix has made a fortune on because why? People will sit down and watch 22 hours of a television show because why? I just need to veg out. I just need to cut the world off to escape from my problems and to live in a world that is not real. But yet the Bible says to bring every thought captive. What we're teaching our children is don't worry about your problems. Just watch eight hours of TikTok and watch people do dumb things to themselves and laugh at it. I'm all about laughing at people doing dumb things, all right? America's Funniest Home Video was one of my favorite shows growing up. But it was 30 minutes. And it was like once a week. But yet we have taught our children and we have taught ourselves. And I know this is hitting close to home tonight, and if you don't like it, fire me. But friends, I am telling you tonight, we are teaching our children that the real world shouldn't be dealt with. It shouldn't be fixed. It shouldn't be corrected through the power of the gospel. When it gets tough, just Netflix and chill. When it gets tough, just Amazon. When it gets tough, just Disney+. Plus. When it gets tough, husbands just run to the barn and fix whatever's out there. Wives, when marriage gets tough, just take your girls and go on a girls' night. What we need to remember is that we are abandoning our post. Now, I'm not against girls' night. I'm, I'm not going. Even though I have a continual girls' night my entire life, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not opposed to, to guys going out and... and do, I'm not opposed to... What I'm telling you is that we don't do it for enjoyment. We do it to avoid the fight that is in front of us. 
There's a reason that the generation that fought in the Second World War is the greatest generation. Because those men went across the world to fight and to die on the beaches of Normandy. They they died on the islands of Japan and the Philippines by the hundreds, by the thousands, by the tens of thousands. Why? Because it was wrong. And what was being done had to be stopped. Saw a poll the other day. 50% of all Republican men would leave the country under invasion, and the Democratic one was much higher. And I won't even say it because it will make me look angry. It's gone. Marriages aren't worth fighting for. Kids aren't worth fighting for. Church isn't worth fighting for. It's easier just to cut and run. What we need to remember that a spiritual fight is worth it. A spiritual battle is worth it. Too many of us want to get to heaven with no scars, no battle wounds. But friends, you need to know something. The battle is raging whether you participate or not. Just like Jesus is on the throne, whether you believe it or not, Satan is seeking whom he may devour, no matter if you believe it or not. You might think your children is immune to it. You might think your marriage is immune to it. You might think your tongue is immune to it. But I'm here to tell you tonight that it's a war. And there are dangers of not fighting, but there are dangers of fighting in the flesh. Because look what it says in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I want you to see the positive nature of this. That you don't have to be overrun. Your family does not have to be devoured. Your children do not have to be destroyed. We can stop making excuses. Well, it's the deacon's kids. You know how the pastor's kids are. You know why that is? It's because we have fell asleep at the will. Friends, I don't know about you, but I've got, pretty, I've got six very beautiful girls that I would love to keep every hairy leg on the planet away from. Every single one of them. I don't care if they're your kid or not. Keep them away. But I have a pretty good feeling that one of these days, one of them is going to slip through. And I just pray that I have taught my daughters to let the right one slip through. And if not, you have a backhoe, Brad, I might be borrowing it. And uh, you've got an alibi and daughters, we can make this work. But uh, I'm just kidding, partially. And uh, the last thing tonight as I've rambled on, Jesus knew the power and plan of God. When difficulties come and you've decided that I'm not going to fight in the flesh, I'm going to fight the way the Lord wants me to, you have to know the power and plan of God is good for your life. You might not know all the details like Jesus did about His, but friends, you can trust this, that if God brought you to it, He will bring you through it. If God has allowed your boat to take on a little bit of water, will not allow it to sink. If God allows your home to be rattled, the foundation will not crumble. Look what it says here in verses 53 through 56. Or do you not think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and He will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? 
How then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all of the disciples forsook him and fled. Jesus said, Don't you worry about this. I could call down the armies of heaven to defend me. If you've ever read the Old Testament, you know that when the armies of the Lord get involved, it is a one-sided battle. You can look how He confused the Philistines and the enemies of Israel. You can look how so many times God had intervened, but yet Jesus said, I could, but I won't. Why? Because you and I needed the cross. You and I needed the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He could have saved himself, the cross. But then you could not have been saved. He could have avoided the pain and the shame. But you and I would have no hope. What we see here is that Jesus says, I willingly go, not that you take it. The Bible tells us that he was like a lamb led to the slaughter. The Bible says he opened not his mouth to defend himself. The Bible says that he was willing. Isaiah says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And when we read this passage of Scripture, we know that the death of Jesus did not happen because man wanted it to. It's because God wanted it to. Because God wanted a relationship with us. God wanted to be able to forgive you and I of our sins. Jesus wanted to be glorified. The Father wanted to glorify His Son by saying, look what He has done for you. He is worthy to be praised. But yet I find it interesting at the end of the verse 56 there, Jesus just tells them, hey, this is exactly what the Scripture said. And these men would have known the Scriptures. They would have known what God's purpose and plan was, but yet they still ran. Now don't miss this. Jesus had just told them about the garden and prayer and what was going to happen. Jesus had just sat with them at the Lord's Supper and told them what was going to happen. He had celebrated with them at the Passover. They had watched Him be anointed at Bethany. They had watched how he had talked through chapters 25 about all that was going to come, but yet when the moment came, they ran. See, I find that interesting because all of us have been guilty running. All of us can look back at our life as husbands, as wives, as parents, as believers and say, boy, I botched that one up. But it does not have to define the future that God has for you. Because what we know is these men who ran eventually were used by God to take the gospel to the world. These 11 men, when they came back, you could read about it in the book of Acts, were used by God for great and mighty things. And tonight, I don't know what your pain is. I don't know what your burden is. I don't know what your struggle is. I, have, I don't know. I barely can figure out my own struggles most days. 
But what I want you to hear is they do not have to define you. Who you were is not who you have to be. I want to read two verses of encouragement to you about the power of God because just because Jesus did not call down the power of the angels of heaven to save Him doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit won't work in your life. You see, we've got to quit believing that the God we serve is incapable. He is still God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I know why God doesn't let me call down fire from heaven. No doubt about it. Some of you wouldn't be sitting here. No, I'm just, I'm just, just being honest. So, no, not you, not you all. I love you all. But I want you to hear these two verses because I want you to believe that God can, no matter how dark it seems, no matter how broken it seems, no matter how hopeless it seems, Exodus 15, 6, your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. That's the God that we serve. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11, it says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heaven and all that is in the earth is Yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and You are exalted as head over all. Friends, if everything belongs to somebody, it's theirs to do what they want with it. And what God's Word says is, it's all His. And we need to start believing and start praying and start living that the barriers that are in our life, the sins that we struggle with, the failures that we are fighting with can be overcome. The prodigal child that you're praying for, God can bring home. The marriage that you don't think can be repaired, God can can restore. The cancer that the doctor says cannot be healed, God can heal. I didn't say He would always, but I'm telling you, the power is there. And until this church realizes it, and until our marriages and our families realize it, we're going to leave in the same mess that we came with. But I don't believe we have to. So tonight I just want to encourage you that He was the perfect example, but you've got to make a choice to follow Him. And say, Lord, I'll go where you send me, do what you tell me, and trust me with whatever you allow into my life. Tonight I want to just say this, that if you're not a believer, that starts right there. Jesus loves you. He's died for you. He wants a relationship with you. doesn't matter if you've cursed Him mocked Him, made fun of Him. You've said the prayer before, but you knew you didn't mean it. Tonight, if you are lost, the Spirit of God can convict you and you can be saved. Friends, that's the greatest joy you could ever give this congregation. Tonight is watching you give your heart to the Lord. But church, whatever you're struggling with tonight, I pray that the Lord would just peel back all the layers, all the coverings that we put, we can just be real and honest with Him. Father, tonight I thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, You know I haven't done it justice, I, I, but I believe it's power. Lord, I believe it's effectiveness. And so God, I just, I just present it tonight, trusting You for the results. 
Lord, I just pray that you would do something amazing, something magnificent for your glory. Not for ours, but for yours. And Lord, if I've said anything that has um, been incorrect or, or not presented you in a light faithful to your word, I ask your forgiveness. But Lord, tonight I pray for this place and these people that you would work in a mighty way. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.